Life can be an extraordinary adventure. More than ordinary. In the gym. At home. At work. More than ordinary. Advice. Without the new agey bullshit. Welcome back to More Than Ordinary, and welcome back to my guest, Jason Harai. So when Jason and I left off last time, we talked about how when Rhonda started being really successful, she found a whole lot more friends. And so Jason, you have another Olympian from your club, Travis Stevens, Olympic silver medalist, originally started out at Ipon Dojo up in Seattle, Washington with you. I always look at kind of his career and, you know, when he comes home, and I'm like, you know, these are the people, and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't always say it, but I think in my head, like, these are the people that believed in you or thought something about you or wanted to help you um, when you didn't, you weren't successful. Like, you didn't have um, the success in judo that you had at the time. You, you know, you were relatively unknown um, in the international judo scene. And, you know, er- these people were the ones that really tried to help you uh, when you were younger, you know, and those are the ones that, that you have to keep close to you because they're the ones that truly, I think, wanted to help you when there was nothing in it for them. Then when some of these athletes do get more successful and more successful, then, you know, then all of a sudden there's a lot of people who want to be in their corner. And it's, and it's just, you know, it amazes me when I see stuff like that. I tell Rhonda all the time, the people that help you on the way up are the same people who will catch you on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know Travis well enough to say, but I can say for myself personally, I mean, I had nothing. I mean, my mom didn't have money. We weren't at any club with anybody you would ever have heard of. And there were people who were kind to me, and I have never forgotten them. You know, Mm -hmm. Eiko Shepard, she used to be Eiko Saito. She's known for kata, but she's an amazing judo player. she's, She's not just somebody who does kata. And when I was a kid, I was like, 13, 14 years old, you know, showing mm-hmm. up in hand-me-down clothes for my brothers and old judo geese, and she would go out of her way to help me just because she's that kind of person. And normally these days when somebody's doing a judo camp or asks me to do something, I just say no because I'm really busy. I've got two companies to run. I'm flying like Sunday, I'm flying to Texas and I come back and I'm back for a couple of weeks and I fly to Australia and January and February is in Chile. So I just say no. But when she was having some judo camp for women, she called up and said, could you do it? And I just, of course. So yeah. I, I always remember those people. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what kind of Travis does, too, is he always, he always comes back. You know, a lot of people talk about how once they get success, that they don't ever come, go back to where they were from to, to kind of give back. But, um, you know, the people that don't know him. That's one of the things that he's always done for our local area. You know, he's always come back to, to help as far as development goes. And I think success can get to someone's head at some point. As far as our little tiny local dojo at the YMCA goes, you know, he's always willing to come back home and give back to those kids. And a lot of those kids don't have anything. It's inspiring for them to be able to um, see somebody who, who practiced in that same gym and um, be successful in the sport that you know they love because everybody remembers i mean you remember when you were a i don't as much because i was so young but you you started at the ymca you said yeah alton YMCA. where is that alton illinois the why isn't there anymore they tore it down but yeah i started the ymca yeah in my pro you know my pro you've been to my in my dojo and my dojo's in a ymca and so you know would i like to have my own building and yeah i would love to have my own my own dojo where you know we don't have to 
pull up our tatamis every night and you know and and, and stuff like that we'd love to have, do that but you know we're a we're a federal nonprofit. you know no one gets paid to do it everybody's there for the love of the sport and you know and that's what we choose to do kind of after we're done with our day jobs and we've managed to still do okay as far as judo goes we we're doing our share i think as far as trying to produce people. I mean, we can't do it at the same rate or level as, as a lot of um, dojos that have uh, more opportunity, but we try to create as much opportunity as we, as we can with what we have. And that's the main thing, I think. So for, for you to do, you know, you're going back and doing those things, you know, I think that's really good. I think that's awesome, in fact. Well, Rhonda does that too. I mean, she does so much good stuff that people don't know about because she doesn't really care if they know or not. Like yeah. she started the Gompers Judo program and she coached there for two years for free until mm-hmm. she kind of took off in the UFC. And mm-hmm. she drops by every now and then and teaches judo and doesn't tell any TV, anybody, you ever see anything on Instagram or that of her teaching judo. It's like one of the kids there took it and she tells them, I come here because of you guys. And I don't want you to think it's like the politician that's washing one plate at the homeless shelter. You know, I'm here because of you and yeah. she'll teach judo. Though she's pretty funny because... She taught judo for me one day. I have good substitute teachers, right? So I was gone. Mm-hmm. So she came to sub. And I come back the next day. Uh, and I'm, you know, the kids, they're kids in middle school. So they're not always that attentive. And they yell, Kyotsuke. I said, do you guys know what Kyotsuke mean? <laughs> and they say, yes, shut up. And I said, that's not what it means. Who told you that? She said, they say, Sensei Rhonda. I said, well, Sensei Rhonda is a big liar. It doesn't mean shut up. <laughs> I think that's awesome that she goes back and gives back like that, you know, and that's, that's true that the ones that don't know about it, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen, especially in today's world with um, Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook and all the social media outlets that they have. That was kind of the, the next thing I was going to, what I was going to ask you about was, is, you know, when you see people like that, you know, like you said, Rhonda was there to helping out. She was doing that training kids and it was kind of not in the shadows, but she didn't want any publicity out of it. I remember. So this is twofold. I remember when you came to my dojo and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? I was, remember I was like, Anne Maria, why didn't you tell me you were going to be here? I would have, I would have invited everybody. And you were like, no, I just want to come to the dojo and just work out and, you know, and, and work out with little kids and just, I just want to come to the dojo and just do that. I don't want it to be like some big production. You remember that? Yeah. And, we could just hang out, right? Yeah. 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 And in your, you know, and that was, that was like one of the, that was probably one of the funnest practices we've ever had was, you know, and it wasn't like some big drawn up thing and you, you didn't want, you weren't looking to get all this publicity of, Oh, you know, I went to this local club in Tacoma, Washington and, you know, and I showed up there and, you know, and they had all the bells and whistles. You just, you were just coming in as a regular person and you just threw on your judo gi and said, all right, let's go. And that was, that was when I, you know, when I saw, when I, you know, I had a new, just all this, I already had respect for you, but that was a whole different level of respect when you came to our club and taught all those little kids and they didn't know who you were. They didn't, you know, and I was, I, I told some people, but they didn't know they were going up against a world champion. They just knew that there was this lady in front of them and they were going to try to take you down as, as hard as they could. Right. And and all the girls, all the kids there were just like, you know, we're just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go get that lady. And, you know, and they didn't know, they didn't know what they were, who was in front of them at the time. But that was the cool thing about it, in my opinion. That's what makes it fun. And so, you know, a lot of the things too, with like social media and the, the training camps, like I, I've told the last camp that I had, you know, I have these, I have these private camps that I do before national events or big events that we do. and. 
I, it's an invite only type thing. And I can't invite everybody. That's the problem is, is if I could invite the whole world, I would, but I try to keep it to a, to a, um, a minimum as much as I can. Right. And it gets hard because a lot of people's, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's feelings involved and some people get hurt and they, you know, if they weren't invited or if I forgot about them or if I didn't, you know, if I, I could, didn't get in contact with them in enough time. And, and that's a really hard thing to kind of juggle. And the last one that I did, you know, and I told everybody, I said, listen, I'm just asking, you don't have to do this, but you know, I don't, I, I would rather you guys not take pictures and tweet or, you know, or put it on Instagram or whatever I said, because at the end of the day, you guys are here doing this two day training camp training session and you're going to know that you did this training camp you're, you're going to put in all this work to get better towards this youth nationals you don't have to and even if you don't tell the whole world that you did it it still happened you don't have to tell everybody on social media that what you're doing and what you did it still happened and i said i said i said do you understand the difference you know i said it, it, it still happened no matter what you did it you put in the time you put in the effort, you put in the sweat and the blood and the tears, and this is going to go, this is going to help you when you start fighting in higher competitions. We'll be right back. Did you know that kids on average lose two and a half months of math skills over the summer? That means that when they go back to school this fall, it's almost like everything they learned in math since mid-March never happened. Seven generation games can help. Combining adventure gaming and math, our games are the perfect way to keep kids' math skills up to date. It's not flashcards or worksheets, but 3D video games and engaging apps that kids actually want to play, even when they're on summer break. Check us out at 7generationgames.com. Another story about Travis was, was uh, when he was younger, when he was a teenager, I mean, him and a couple other kids in our dojo, um, one's his, one of the other guys' name was Robert Davis, and they used to get really pissed if we were shut down for Christmas or Thanksgiving or, you know, because the building would be shut down at the YMCA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, you know, it was the Young Men's Christian Association. It's, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a different entity now. It still is that, but it's, you know, it's it's, it's a little bit different. Where Christmas is a thing to Christians. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, the Y would be shut down, and they would just, and they would be, they would just be like, you know, they would be pissed about it. So they would go to, they would go to, um, you know, to Robert's house or they'd go to someone's place and they'd, they'd be working out on, you know, their birthdays or holidays or, you know, and those are the things that no one knew about him or those guys, the ones that, you know, they were doing work that no one else knew about. And I think that's what made them stronger. And that's what made them more successful is, is they were willing to put into work when nobody else knew about it. Is there something to that? Yeah, there's a saying about character is who you are when no one is watching. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that because I'm a little person, right? And I don't look very impressive. So sometimes I would go to judo practices, like if Nanka was having a practice that, I'd just kind of slip in through the side door and go sit up in the corner on top of some mats that were piled up and watch. And there are those kids who, when they think somebody's watching, that they're going all out. But mm-hmm. when they don't think anybody's watching, they're taking a round off or that. And Pat Burris told me once, I was, I was at a con, uh, must have been a clinic. And Pat was there, and Mike Swain was there, and I was there, and Rhonda was just a kid. She was there. And there were a couple other people, Danny Kikuchi, you might know him from San Jose. Yep. But anyway, mm-hmm. so at the end of it, there were some things, and I grabbed Pat, and I'm like, hey, show me how you did that Ochigari that you dropped down. And then, 
uh, Mike was saying, hey, you did that weird thing where you did the Sayanagi and it kind of stuck your leg out like a drop Sayoi Taitoshi. So here we were. We had all won way more than anybody else who had left. But there was something we didn't know yet. And Rhonda mm-hmm. had stuck around in part because she didn't have a choice because that was her ride. But still, yeah. you know, she wanted to see from every person, how do you do this? So, yeah, I think it's those people who are training when nobody's watching that are trying to get better even when there's nothing for them. Yes. I think, I mean, I think that's important. I think that, you know, so many, so many of the young athletes don't realize that. I think that they think that if they don't put it on social media, that it didn't happen. And it's just, I just, some, some of it, I just don't understand, but I guess it's just the way things are today. It's 2019 and you kind of have to go along with the times. And I get that. I understand that. So. I'm the opposite of that. I have the opposite of an Instagram life. Like, especially when I was in Chile, there's sometimes I'd be like hiking up in the mountains. It's so amazing. But I was so taken by what was going on that I didn't think to take pictures of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you. I mean, but you were living. You were living it. You were. You saw it with your own eyes. It would have been nice to see pictures. I'm sure people wanted to see pictures. You know. There's also good parts of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that we were any less of idiots when I was young, but there wasn't iPhones and Instagram around. So anything anybody says I did, I have plausible deniability. <laughs> true. That's true. Okay. Now I have one. I have another. I have one final question for you. I know that I know you're the host, and I'm just um, co-hosting. That's right. I have questions for you next, so go ahead. Okay. Fair is fair. As far as the um, as far as like the YMCA programs go, and opportunity, you know, one of the big things for like my program was is that when I was you know when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have very much money. My mom didn't work, and um, you know, she was Japanese, and she didn't work. She didn't have a, a regular job. She was a housewife, and so we didn't have a lot of money. And so me and my brothers you know, and my sister, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have the opportunity, opportunities that a lot of people were afforded to be able to do, you know, going to training camps and going to every national tournament every year. And, and a lot of the kids don't realize that, that that's just not, you know, that wasn't always a normal thing for everybody. It wasn't for me. I mean, when we got to go to a national event, I had to make, I had to make the best use of my time and my, my, my dad's, my parents' money that I could, you know, and so I just didn't have opportunity. And one of the big things at our dojo, Eddie Pone, is that I want to try to create opportunity for anybody who's willing to take, you know, use that opportunity for what's best for them, you know, whether it's judo or whatever, just to create that opportunity and let them go from there. And as far as your life goes, I mean, what did you do with the opportunity that you had and, you know, how much opportunity didn't you have at, you know, at a young age? Oh, it was the exact opposite of some of the kids you mentioned. My mom had 50 cents a day for lunch money for herself. She worked, and she was one of the few moms that actually had a job. And back then, judo tournaments were $2 entry fee. And we had very little money. She had five kids, and my dad wasn't always around. So she would skip lunch four days a week to come up with two bucks. And hand me $2. And I would hop in the car with somebody else because, again, gas money to get to a tournament, you know, even when gas was a quarter a gallon or whatever, we didn't have it. So, yeah, there was no way in hell I was coming home empty-handed. So I had zero opportunity for stuff like that. I did judo at the YMCA, and then there was a local community college that had judo. So sometimes I would catch a ride with somebody and go there. The Y had kids' classes and adult classes, so I did both of those. 
So I was able to do judo probably five times a week just by going through every kid class they had and every adult class they had. So I didn't have any of those opportunities. I I don't think I went to a training camp until I had made the U.S. team. And I'd been in judo like 10 years. Wow. But you made, I mean, you made the best out of every, I mean, the like the opportunity that you had was going to a kids, adults, and to a free college class, right? And, right. But you made the best out of that opportunity. And, yeah. And then when I, my college started attracting, because I was in college when Title IX passed. So they mm-hmm. had to start up some girls' sports and they posted up something saying, we're going to have girl women's track. So I joined that just so I could, you know, have people to run with. So I went wherever I could, whenever I could. Nice, nice. Okay, hit me. All right, so you obviously have a wonderful view of judo, so that's very, very charming. But I want to talk about the negative parts because I have hired exactly one person that did judo, Justin Flores. Mm-hmm. Other than that, if I see on somebody's resume that they were a national level judo player, I count it against them. And the reason is because I feel like judo is a sport in this country where you can be mediocre and still be nationally ranked. Mm-hmm. So people get the idea that you can have a high level of accolades reward with a mediocre level of effort. So, for example, the last year Rhonda competed in the senior nationals, I think at 70 kilos, there were maybe seven people in her division. Mm-hmm. So she won one or two matches to get first place. I think the person who won third could have won one match. Mm-hmm. So I, when I look in contrast, Julia, when she was playing soccer in high school, they'd have to win a dozen matches to win a tournament. You know, there'd be 1,200 teams, you know, 1,200 players, so I don't know, maybe 100 teams in a tournament. And this is the national championships. This is like a regional-level soccer tournament in Southern right. California. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Do you think judo gives people a false impression of how good they are? Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, and I'll use, you know, for instance, like wrestling. Uh, you know, in, in the state of Washington, wrestling is, is very popular, just like California. And they have to go through so many things. Can't walk onto the team. They have to make a team, right? right? And and not only that, they have to fight in these duels every single week to get their keep their varsity spot or to they have to go to tournaments every every weekend. And they're, they're working out five days a week. And they have to qualify, you know, at the end of the season, they have to qualify at their at their either their, their sub-regionals and then they go to a regional event or a district and then to try to qualify for the state tournament. And so they have to go through all these qualifying events just to make this year, this year at our state high school championships, there were 32 man brackets, but they had to go through two tournaments. They had to go through the season and through two qualifying tournaments just to get to the state tournament. So then we're talking, you're talking about on a national level. So a lot of these wrestlers, for instance, just like your daughter in soccer, she had to go through all that just to get. Now, first of all, she had to make the team, right? Right. She had to try out for it. Yeah. She didn't just get to go. Right. And in judo, if, if, you know, like, let's say you can afford to send me to go to the U.S. Open or the Junior Olympics, I can go. If, 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 if Mama uh, Ann Maria says, Jason, you get to go, I get to go. I, I, you know, as long as the sensei, you know, signs off on it or whatever, and, and I can go. 
I don't have to qualify. I don't have to do any of those different things to go to those national championships. And in all the other sports, you have to go through this this massive qualifying, uh, uh, these events to qualify for whatever it is, junior nationals, junior Olympics, you, you name it. And they have to go to these things. And then when they get done winning a state championship in Washington State for wrestling, I mean, it's a huge accomplishment. To, to, to be on the podium, you know, and they're going, oh, why do they, they, God, they medal these guys. They're on the podium for, you know, top seven or whatever. Well, but you're the top seven out of, think about how many people in the, in a state um, was in your weight class in wrestling. And then now multiply that to a national championship, like, you know, in Reno or, or some of these major um, national championships. It's just, they have to go through so many different steps to get to there. And then once they do win it or they place in the top three, they did something pretty impressive, right? We'll be right back. My parents love me. They want me to be happy and healthy, to learn and be confident. The best gift they can give me is an education. With 7 Generation Games, I can play and have fun while I'm learning math and history. 7 Generation Games make games that make you smarter. And you know what? I like being smarter. To get 7 Generation Games, visit 7generationgames.com. But then our problem, I think, in judo in our country is that, like I said, if I ask, you know, if I ask Sensei Ann Maria to send me to Junior Nat, you know, if she can help me go and she says yes, then I get to go. I'm, I'm in. I'm in no matter what. And I don't have to go through any qual. I don't have to go through any qualifying tournaments or this or that to get there because, you know, we just don't have the numbers, I think, you know, in the end when it comes down to it. We don't have the numbers like those other sports do. And I think it does give them a false sense of, you know, what I accomplished. Right. I, I think it gives them a false sense of how hard you have to try to get that level. And it's funny that you mentioned wrestling because, like I said, Justin's the only judo player I ever hired, and he actually won the California State Championships in wrestling three times yep. and then wrestled in NCAA Division One. Yep. So I think that's one thing where judo gives people a false, some people, a false sense of how good they are. And yeah. it's actually easier to meddle at the senior level. Well, I don't know. It's easier, e- pretty easy. Let's be honest. It's pretty easy to meddle in both junior and senior nationals. The senior nationals, because there aren't that many people competing in it anymore. And yeah. the junior nationals, because they have a bazillion divisions. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. can't, so I think that's one negative I see out of judo. And you mentioned, the other thing is this whole triple crown idea. I just yeah, think I that's don't... the stupidest thing ever. I don't think I've ever, ever as a sensei. Never, you know, so I've had my dojo. I've had Ipon Judo for, this is 19 years, I think. Yeah, 19 years. And I've never once said, you know, I think you should try to go to the USJA Junior Nationals, the JF Junior Nationals, the Junior Olympics, the USO, you know, and, and try to go to an infantile Pan Ams. Not only because we couldn't afford it, but just it doesn't, it just didn't make sense to me. I don't think there's a lot of other sports that have that many national championships. Are there? I I don't think so. I think it's ridiculous. When Rhonda was younger and people were Brian, I if you don't know, if you're listening to this, a triple crown is when you win three junior national championships. The JF, the JA, uh, there's three different judo organizations. Each of them had a junior national championships. And now two of them have merged, but there's also a junior U.S. Open. And then there's an, um, a Pan American championships. But mm-hmm. I told Rhonda, no. That's just, you're the best out of the kids whose parents could afford and thought it was worth the money to send them to all these tournaments. And you have three sisters. 
And, yeah. you know, one's in college, one needs a nanny. So no. Yeah. 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 I just, I just think that, the, um, you know, I mean, and I, and I think that it's not important to the kids as much as that maybe it's as important. It's important to their parents. I think it's a fine thing to do if you do it right. Like there were a couple mm-hmm. of families from Venice Doja that I knew who are really, really smart. And every time we were at a junior national, say we were in Monterey, they would take their kids to visit UC Berkeley and Stanford. If we were in Boston, they would take their kids to visit MIT and Harvard. So when their kids got to the point of applying to colleges, they'd been to all these places. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I, see. I knew other people that they would do things like take their kids out to, you know, it was it was a vacation for them. So they'd go and they compete in the tournament and... I remember Monterey because it's really beautiful. You know, they go out on the peninsula and they go hiking with their kids or they take them to the aquarium. So I think if you do it that way, yeah. and, and that's what we tried to do. Like when we would go to uh, the Junior U.S. Open that was in Florida, we would go mm-hmm. snorkeling. I'd take them on some glass bottom boat ride. They would do kid things and there would be a judo tournament thrown in there. Yeah. Now, did you do all those fun things after the judo tournament? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I, uh, you know, for our local, for our, for our tournaments, not for our national tournaments, you know, I always tell those guys, you know, especially my team, you know, and the parents and the athletes, I say, you know, when we're, when we're going there, we don't, our families don't have just a lot of extra money to spend on. Yeah, we're going to have fun and we're going to, and we're going to do things the right way. But, you know, we're going there to the one reason why we're going there is to do the judo tournament, obviously. And, but then after, after the judo tournament, it's there to have these experiences to have fun, to go to these places and do something educational or whatever. Right. But, but so first and foremost is, is let's concentrate on the tournament and then let's just have as much fun as we possibly can, you know, enjoy our time together and, and, and enjoy this experience wherever we are. Like we're going to Jerry Navarro's tournament, uh, you know, in Fort Lauderdale Mm -hmm. this summer. You know, and that's the thing is, is it's judo, judo, the judo tournaments, our first, our first, uh, you know, thing that we have to take care of. And then after that, you know, we're going to, we're going to have fun. And I think that that's important, but I think there are, you're right. I think there's a certain amount of people who use those things the wrong way. So there's a fine line. Well, and I never did that sort of thing when I was young because I just couldn't afford it. So if I went to a tournament I when I competed in the tournament, I came home right away because yeah. I had very little money. Yeah, you know when I was training in Europe for for the European tour, one of the things I did manage to do was go running a lot because I always had to cut weight. <laughs> so <Yeah>. at <laughs> least I got to like run around the lakes and see things. Yeah. So that was cool. I would say that we're in the same boat. You know, we don't we don't stay like an extra week after and and do a lot of the things that a lot of other um, teams can do. Um, we typically don't have very much time. We, we usually, you know, like for instance, uh, at the youth nationals that was in Colorado Springs, um, last month, we, you know, we, we flew in the tournament, you know, we had to be there on a Thursday. So we flew in on Thursday and, and, uh, we left Seattle, you know, in the morning, got there in the afternoon, drove to Colorado Springs from Denver, got there, got in a registration line, weighed in, registered, all that stuff. Then the very next day, fight. The day after that, fight, and then the day after that, fly home. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had very little time in between to do the things that you know. Maybe if we would have had one one or two extra days, but you know, everybody has people have to work and people have to go to right. school, and you know, and and um, we just another extra day of hotel fees and food, and 
that 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 would have made it so that some of the people couldn't maybe possibly go to the U.S. Open in you know in July. And so we have to we have to spend what we do have wisely. I have to admit. Well, I have another thing. One last one, and then we can wrap it up and maybe do this again because uh, I have lots of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Julia Koyama used to be, I think, chair of development for USGF, and she said a very wise thing. She said, funding one gifted kid to a tournament doesn't make a development program. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people who have the belief that, you know, I, I coach at a program in South Los Angeles where there's a lot of money, that I should mm -hmm. take those one or two kids that show the most potential at judo and fund them to go to the infantile Pan Ams, fund them to go to all the junior nationals. And instead... Once a year, I try to take all of the kids somewhere. Like mm -hmm. I'll take every kid that's got good grades and been out of stayed out of trouble in school and had no problems in school and good attendance. That we'll take them to like one year we went to Washington D.C. and Morris Allen hosted a camp. Another couple of times we went to the Freestyle Nationals in Kansas City. I think there's a lot of lip service in judo to building character, but a lot more money and focus in a lot of places goes into building champions and those aren't necessarily the same thing mm -hmm. you know julie's from our area here she's you know she's uh i grew up i grew up in the pacific northwest and she's from oregon uh, you know i'm obviously in washington and um yeah she's she's the head referee at my tournament every year the rainier cup and uh it's going on uh 18 years now and she's been the head referee for every single one of my tournaments and, um, you know, I've known her since I was a little tiny kid and, uh, you know, and I have a lot of respect for her and, and yeah, she, you know, she has, um, she's when, as the development chairman, when she was at the, in the USGF, I think that is sometimes they'll put all their eggs in a one basket on a certain, some dojo, some teams will put all their eggs in a one basket on just one or two particular people. And that's what you're talking about. Right. right. And, and, and yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's right. I think that, you know, as far as development, because look, I'm, you know, just like you, my passion is in developing these kids, right? And whether it's, judo is the conduit, the conduit that I, that we use, um, that I use, judo is the conduit to, to everything else. It just so happens that what we're doing is judo. And, but that's the, that's kind of like the, the freeway to everything else that they're going to do in life or whether they're going to be, you know, how they're going to be in their life. And so, you know, we're always putting efforts into, as far as my team goes, we're, we're putting, trying to put effort into everybody that's trying to develop. I don't think it should be a, an elitist type of a thing where only one person's going to get, we're only going to send one kid to college and, you know, everybody, all the other kids are going to do whatever. And we're putting all of our eggs in one basket on this one person, you know, and I don't think we've, you know, and I don't think we've done that. I don't think we've done that. I think that our, do you think our country's done that as far as judo goes? I think at the national level, certainly, we put a lot of money in to funding a few people to go mm -hmm. compete internationally, which is fine for USA Judo. That's what they're about, right? Yeah. But when we say that's what we should be doing for all the organizations, I really question that. Yeah. And I think our development for many years has been more of a pole than a pyramid, that we get a few kids, we focus on them. And we ignore all the rest. Yeah, and I think the USJF and the USJA's job too. I mean, they're they're mo they're into grassroots. They're into trying to develop the building blocks for the future for judo in in America. And I think that yeah, I think those those, those that funding, the limited funding that we have in our country, 
you know, that needs to go to just building, you know, building that foundation as strong as we can, because I mean, let's face it, we don't have, we don't have the numbers in our country. Um, we have a gazillion kids that do youth soccer, don't we? Yeah. And, and I mean, we have so many people in our country that do soccer and it's so competitive that they're bound to, out of all the people in our country that do soccer, they're going to find and develop um, a lot of great athletes. Now they have to pay for it. I mean, you, you, you obviously pay for it. It's probably pretty expensive too. I, I, I imagine I've heard. Julia sold her car to pay for it. Rhonda gave her a car. I mean, it was a used car and Julie sold it to pay for her soccer fees. To get into this, um, to get onto that like select team. I mean, yeah, it wasn't it, super expensive, but it was an old car. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of, I have girls on my judo team that do um, like select style um, volleyball and it's very expensive for the families. In the end with those sports, I mean, they're trying to get like um, college, um, they're trying to get college paid for. That's what I worry about judo in our country. You know, I worry about it because what's the, fu- what is the future hold for them in judo then in wrestling they can they can um, go through wrestling go through high school win some state championships you know colleges offering them scholarships to go to their universities to wrestle and they can go there and at least get an education paid for um you know through wrestling yeah or like like, like Rhonda went into the ufc and then after that she went into wwe and lies judo people talk trash about her but you know what she made millions of dollars i don't see usa judo showing up at her door with a pile of cash yeah, and I was <laughs> I was telling you, remember I was telling you, I said, she probably, did you tell her what I said, by the yeah, way? Yeah, she thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you want me to share what I said? Sure, go ahead. I mean, I, and I was, and I just, you know, when we talked, when we talked earlier in the week, I said, you know, I said, Rhonda should be thanking everybody, you know, and I don't know, I don't know all the people that, that were naysayers to her, disrespected her or, or whatever. I don't, I don't know all of, you know, all those backstories. I just know that if I was on the USA Judo side of it, I'd have probably been, I'd have probably made her the, the CEO and president and whatever else you want to call yourself of, of, of the judo organization in America. I would, I would have treated her like she was just, you know, (laughs) I would have just given her the keys to the castle. Right. And in retrospect now, now how long, so 2008, she won her bronze medal yeah. in Beijing. And so now we're, we're already, you know, we're a decade later, right? And the last time she stepped on a mat internationally was what year? 2009 or eight? Yeah, probably 2009 because she, right. she decided to take a run at for a while and then decided this isn't for me. Yeah. I want to make some money. She did. Let's say, let's say, you know, everybody just said, okay, you're the, you're the queen of judo. You're going to take over. You're everything thing you know you're you're gonna have everything in usa judo you have all the power now you look back 10 years later and go okay what would her life have been like if that were the case you know the things that she's done since then is amazing you know as far as you know becoming the um you know the bantamweight champion in the ufc and going into wwe and she's been in movies and she's written a, um, a best-selling book and what else She's done all. She's in. She's in Twizzler commercials. Yeah, right? she's producing a couple of TV shows. And she's been on these commercials, and you know, and I see her. I see her all the time on those Twizzler commercials. You know, where they went <laughs> moving that little licorice thing in her face. You know, and she did all these things despite being, you know, just had people kissing her rear end, kissing her ass in USA Judo. So it's almost like everybody did her a favor. You know, and I was, yeah. and we were laughing about that. I said, I said she should thank everybody for for not 
you know, kissing her ass and make, you know, and, and all those different things. Her life now compared to how maybe it could have been is, is I would say is a lot different than how it could have been. It's so bizarre. When she came back from the Olympics, 21 years old, she's broke. And I, and my friend, Frank Sanchez is a great guy. I said, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a, got space. You could throw down some mats here and she can have practice every, every Saturday and Sunday and charge people 10 bucks to come and keep all the money. So 10 bucks. Yeah. And there were a bunch of people that said, why should I pay $10 to train with her? Why shouldn't I get paid $10? Why shouldn't my kid get paid $10? And Rhonda's like, you know what? You don't want to train with me. Don't come. And now we were just at WrestleMania in New York City last, about a week ago. And mm-hmm. they sold, they had a limit of, say, tr- sold 215 tickets at a hundred, I don't know, hundreds of dollars each to show up and have your picture taken with it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Think about it, you know? I mean, we were laughing about it last week. I said, I, know, I was, I was telling you. I said, think about how if they would have, if, if, if you know, things would have been different in our organization. I mean, her life would be. Think about how her life would be right now versus how it actually went down. Okay. Now it's all in retrospect. I understand that. You know, it's it's all hindsight. But she should be sending a thank you letter out to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I should right? tell her to do that. That'd be pretty funny. Yeah. She should be, she should be like, thank you. You know, thank you for, for everybody that, you know, everybody that, uh, um, you know, whatever. Thank you. I I, I, I have one last thing. We'll have to do this again, but I have one last thing. This is my, um, unpopular opinion. Okay. So everybody that uh, I don't, people all the time say we, our problem is we have too many judo organizations. They all need to merge. We need one organization. I completely disagree with that. I think we could probably do better with more. And I tell you Mm -hmm. why. You were talking about how many people there are in soccer in this country. All right. There's AYSO, which is American Youth Soccer. So it's a very recreational league. They're probably Mm -hmm. in every city. Lots of middle schools have a soccer team. They're completely unrelated to AYSO. Um, Lots of high schools have a soccer team. They're completely unrelated to AYSO and completely unrelated to USA Soccer. And then there's all the club teams. And I think they might belong to USA Soccer. I'm not sure. And then there's um, like co-ed leagues that cities have, like Julia in the summer plays on three different teams and they're run Mm -hmm. by the city. They have nothing to do with AYSO. They have nothing to do with USA soccer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing with swimming. So rather than trying to mesh everything together and have this one size fits all, I think it's perfectly fine to have recreational programs and local programs that are not all run by some monopolistic tyranny. So mm-hmm. that's my dictatorship. So that's my opinion. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think that, I think that each level, so each level has its responsibility within the, the program, right? They all have their, they kind of all have their role in what they're doing. I think, you know, like, like, um, like you said, the lower level, the, the or not the lower level, the beginner stages, the grassroots of soccer, they're run by a certain league or whatever, and they're not all intertwined. But in the end, their end goal is to just is to get people as exposed. The more the more people expose to soccer, the better, right? Right. But yeah. USA Soccer doesn't come over to Saint Anne's Catholic School and say you're not doing it right, and your right. coaches have to be certified soccer belts or whatever. Right. Right. That's right. not their deal. They're not getting mandated from the very top down. Right. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's, that's one of the, you're right. That's, and that's the thing that, 
you know, if we had uh, if we had because, you know, you look, think about like you said, soccer, like we have our junior high systems and our elementary systems and, you know, and all these kids are playing soccer out in the field in the elementary school. Right. I mean, they're not mandated by anybody except for the the uh, lady out there, not the lady, the person out there who's running the recess. Right. Right. And and uh, all the way up to, the you know, just that they can participate in that. It's it's like phenomenal. But that's the reason that's why popular their soccer is so popular in our country and why, you know, we do so well, you know, compared uh- to. Our sport. Okay, this is the last thing because I, this is a tradition here at the More Than Ordinary podcast. Okay. Um, I know we've gone way over. <laughs> so yeah. you have to give a tip. It could be about anything. What did the last person say? Well, we had someone who was in special forces that gave advice on investing. Said so you start investing young. We had somebody who was a producer who gave advice on dating. Said always date somebody <laughs> you can learn from because then if you even if you dump them, you have knowledge. Um, we had Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. He said that you need to th- think about your diet. He had a great line. Um, you could do sit-ups from morning till noon, but you'll never you'll never look great unless you control between the fork and the spoon or something like that. <laughs> um, so it can be in your area of expertise or it can be completely unrelated. It could be marriage advice, whatever you want. <laughs> well, how about this? I'll give you some advice in the produce world that we always say. All right. Always wash your produce. Okay. Always. All right. Mm. Okay. And then I'll give you a better one next time. All right. All right. Well, that's good advice. <laughs> I know. Okay. All right. Well, I got to go take care of my granddaughter, but um, thank you so much. Yes, we should do this again. Thanks for listening to the More Than Ordinary podcast. For more information, please go to our website, 7generationgames.com. And that's 7 as in the number 7, generationgames.com. If you'd like to learn more about math and history or increase your vocabulary while at the same time having fun, you can purchase our games at 7generationgames.com slash buy. You can also donate and help a much-deserving student. And as always, please tell a friend and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It's never too late to be more than ordinary.